need to delve back into this great book. Brother Ron's coming down the middle aisle. If you need an outline, a prayer bulletin, we sure would love for you to follow along. And uh, as we try to, or at least do our best, to stick to the outline to some degree. And uh, so if you need one, if you get him his, his attention, that would be wonderful. Excited about getting back into chapter 5. If you remember... Uh, last time we were together, we were kind of building off Hebrews chapter 4, for verses 14 through 16, and uh, kind of using that as a springboard in uh, here to chapter number 5, okay? And uh, uh, what we saw here in the passage, uh, chapter, 14, or chapter 4, verses 14 and 16, is that presentation that Jesus Christ has a superior title. Let's remember, remind ourselves as we think of the priest, and even specifically the high priest, that was kind of the embodiment, uh, the physical physical, visible presentation of the Jewish faith, okay? Everything went through the priest in their minds, and especially in that day, the priest was huge, played a huge part. And so Paul is using that, presenting Jesus Christ as this superior title, which we know he is the great high priest. And so in doing so, these next few chapters, he's going to try to answer every question a Jewish uh, follower, okay, a Jew would have concerning Jesus Christ and, and his presentation as the high priest. And so He'll talk much about um, the high priest, his roles, his ministries, and so uh, we understood it would do us well. Last time we looked back at the Old Testament, we really didn't spend too much time in Hebrews. We looked back at the Old Testament, say, okay, what is the high priest? What makes him special? What were some of his roles, his ministries? What were some of the things that set him apart? And so we began, you remember number one, uh, they were the supreme religious leaders among the Jewish nation, established by God. They, like other priests, were selected uh, from the tribe of Levi, they specifically from the descendants of Aaron. And then we moved on. We said, number two, uh, all those uh, with physical defects were ineligible for the priesthood. We read the passage there, understood, and that was a great uh, symbolic presentation of Jesus Christ being without blemish. And likewise, that you and I are cleansed through his sacrifice. And so some great pictures found therein. When we came to number three, we said this, they were to be sanctified, that idea of being set apart. And it was demonstrated through the holy conduct that God in his word mandated in the law described and characterized for them how they were supposed to live. And so it was a representation of them being set apart. And we, we said that is obviously a clear and obvious picture of Christ himself being sanctified, set apart to be the, the, the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. And then you and I, we looked in Ephesians there in the passage where you and I are encouraged that we are set apart to live saintly, that you and I are supposed to reflect that holiness and to be holy even as our Father in heaven is holy. High priest, he was in charge of overseeing everything else too. The responsibility of all the other priests will, will allude to a situation in, in Scripture in which the high priest was defending the temple and he had uh, a, a good number a whole gaggle of the priests with him and so he, they would oversee hundreds of priests we mentioned last time i believe on the day of atonement there's about 600 priests at times that did some kind of function uh served in some format or another and so the high priest would have overseen all of that whatever took place on the temple and so great responsibility there and yet a great picture too of our high priest being over us as priests as believers and so great symbolic aspects to this now number five we saw the high priest could participate participate in ordinary priestly duties, ministries, uh, but he alone was given these special functions. No other priest could do these things, only he were the Urim and the Thummim, the, the means of uh, obtaining the will of God, the direction and guidance of God, and so he was used often by the kings and by others to determine what was God's will in a certain situation and such. Uh, letter B, we saw also that only he could offer um, sin offering, again, I, I did not correct that, sin offering for both himself and for the whole congregation. Uh, he 
alone could do that. No other priest could do that, especially their focus on the Day of Atonement. Then uh, when the priest died, the high priest died, you remember those confined to a city of refuge that God had set up throughout Israel, they could go free. And what a great picture of the reality that when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, he did so to set captivity free. And uh, it's a great picture found here in the Old Testament high priest. I love that, that role or that aspect of the high priest. Only high priest, letter D, we saw in the last one here, could conduct the service on the Day of Atonement. We talked a little bit about that, kind of explained what took place on that day, some of the things that he was responsible for. We'll talk more about it, and we talked to me about his dress being different on that day and things like that. So we'll get into some more details as we get into chapter 7 through 10 that expound upon that truth. Uh, and yet we came to this uh, reality understanding, okay, this is the backdrop. That, that was kind of a, a precursor to the rest of uh, Hebrews here specifically chapters 5 through chapter 10 that deal heavily with the high priest and all the aspects of it. And so it's crucial for us to understand that uh, in the fabric of, as we stated last time, in the fabric of these described roles and ministry of the earthly high priest, we see the foreshadowing of the arrival, the actions of our great high priest who has done what only he can do. And he offered a sacrifice as the high priest would have done of old, and yet that was he himself. And he did it once and for all, which no high priest in the past could have done. And, uh, and his offering, his sacrifice could take away our sins. No sacrifice ever offered in the Old Testament time or New Testament time other than Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross could take away sins permanently. And so he did that. It's a great truth and great picture of that. Now, all of that said, that's our background. That's the, uh, the groundwork for us now to dive into chapter 5. And so let's look there, shall we? Hebrews chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 6, if you will, with me. Notice what it says. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Verse 5. So also, here's the comparison, and it's a comparison, not contrast, but it's like, saying in like manner. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he said that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Right. So for tonight's message and for the next point, we're going to focus in on verse 1 and verses 4 through 6 that we just read of, and we'll come back to those other verses and get them in uh, future points and things as such. But as we do so, we add then to Christ's superior title, he had something else that was superior. And you saw the word used here in verse 1. Okay? We see Jesus Christ has a superior ordination, uh, a term for calling. We know what an ordination is. We've had them here uh, for those who have been called by God into the ministry of the gospel. And uh, a preacher as such, a missionary, whatever the case may be, a preacher of the word that uh, God has called them. God does the calling. And uh, we confirm that in watching them testing them in a sense concerning their doctrine and such as a church we understand what an ordination is and so christ had the same thing as the old testament priest okay um the entire passage here uh is building upon the levitical system that god instituted for israel through moses and especially those parts that deal with 
the high priest. Okay? So what Paul is writing on, he's doing so with his Jewish knowledge of the things that he understood. Remember, we know who, who Paul is. Uh, Paul was a very fanatic Jew, uh, very active in the religious activities of his day, and so he would know the law inside and out. He would know the, the, the Jewish history inside and out, and so uh, he is using that now to present to them this picture of Jesus Christ as the high priest. Okay? Now, one of the great aspects about the Jewish faith is the priesthood. And it would do us well for a moment to consider what, what are the implications of the priesthood. Why was it so important when God came along and he, he remember, as we were to look back in the Levitical law and Exodus and other places, what, what God gave Moses, uh, there is law for uh, how society should work and the governing of the community, of the society. And so very much the, the legal aspect of it, the, the government of Israel was there, for sure. Uh, there was also individual laws that pertain to individual uh, Jews, how they would live. I mean, it was really an instruction for don't eat this, eat this. This is how you'll act on the Sabbath day. This is what you won't do on the Sabbath day. This is if someone's unclean, this is how you'll deal with it. And so there's some very much uh, personal, individual commands within the Mosaic Law. And then the third aspect was very much the, uh, the religious laws, the religious part of the law that was given. So as we understand that, that was critical, as was everything else. The government hopefully providing for a theocracy, the ruling of God among them, and then also the society laws that govern how they lived and so forth. You needed the religious. It, it represented something. And here's what it represented. Okay? As we think of the priesthood, the reality is this. The very establishment and existence of the priesthood speaks to man's estrangement from God. In other words, his separation from God. Okay? And I, I know I gave you some big words to fill in tonight. Okay? So we're just going to work on penmanship tonight as we uh, fill in blanks. Okay? And under some big words, I know, and uh, hopefully if I spelled them right, if I didn't, you can blame me if you spell them wrong. Okay? Um, nonetheless, the priesthood as it stands, it, it, it's important for us to look at it and say, okay, you know what this does? It reminds us and tells us the reason the priesthood exists is because there was separation between us and God caused by our sin. That needed a fix. That needed a remedy if it was even just temporary. A man needed a way to approach God. We talked about that already in Hebrews, and so we won't beat the proverbial dead horse. The reality is, though, that speaks to it. It points the spotlight on the reality. Okay, yeah, we have to admit, if God had to establish a priesthood, a means by which man approaches God, and God can then in turn speak to man, uh, that kind of tells us that man is estranged from God. It confirms what we know started in Genesis with the sin of Adam and Eve and that there was a separation, a broken fellowship, broken relationship, and it had to have a means of being reestablished in a sense. Now, with that said, in like manner, I, I would say, let me back up. If we had a coin, one side of it is the negative. That's it. It reminds us that we're estranged from God. But let us not forget there's another side of that coin, what I would call the positive, the good news of it. The priesthood, his, God's instituting the Levitical system of the priesthood, is an early display of his wondrous grace to mankind. Here is a God that's coming up with a plan and a means by which, okay, I want this nation and, and certainly those who would also adhere to Israel, not just Israel, but primarily Israel, but there were strangers that came out of Egypt with them, other people who, like Rahab, who joined with them. 
God was saying, okay, I want to make a means for you to have a some a relationship with me to some degree. Now, it, it wasn't fully done because Christ hadn't died on the cross yet, but reality was there's a God in heaven, even in the Old Testament, who desired a relationship with mankind. And he provided a way for the Levitic, through the Levitical system, the priesthood, by which he shows his wonderful grace and love to say, okay, I'm going to provide a way for you and I to, to fellowship, for you to, you to approach me through sacrifices and such. And you know what? Sometimes... And boy, we hear people talk about it. They talk about the God of the Old Testament being an unloving, harsh, judgmental God. And you hear that often. And that's the reason many churches today don't like to preach on the Old Testament. Because can I tell you, it may have been the dispensation of a law. And we may be living in the dispensation of grace. But can I tell you, God was still gracious during that dispensation. He was still gracious. We've got to be careful. Don't let somebody paint God in a box. Because I'll tell you, no man can put God in a box. And we see even through his, his handing out the law and his design of this system, it's like, man, God is gracious. He is merciful. He could have waited all the way till Jesus Christ died on the cross to establish anything with mankind. And he would have done so rightfully. That's what mankind really deserved, we could say, because of our failures, of our sins. But God in his love and graciousness, and he made a way. Now, we understand that man could now approach God only on his terms, but when man did, that uh, man could be restored to a degree to fellowship with God. And that's a great picture because you know what it was showing? God was showing even in the priesthood the day is coming when the great high priest and the great sacrifice is coming that will restore that relationship completely. No longer would there be the limitations of the Levitical system. In other words, you had to have a priest that offered a sacrifice for you. That was the limitation. The Israelite couldn't come to the altar. We'll see that here in a moment. In fact, very stringent who could do that. And then the Day of Atonement, it was only the high priest that could go in the Holy Holies into the very presence of God that that represented. No one else could do that on a subject to death that they did so. And so there were some limitations there. And yet Jesus Christ came along and took them all away. That's what Paul's saying. He's using this as a great picture, and it's just describing for us how much we have to be thankful for in Jesus Christ, his ministry, and what he has done for you and I. You and I now can experience a relationship with God that was never before available to mankind. And we do it through Jesus Christ, our high priest. And so Paul is trying to encourage the Jew to see this, and that this truth is weaved throughout the entire passage, the next few chapters of Hebrews here, okay? There's another fact we have to come to terms with and remind ourselves, especially as we embark upon chapter 5, it's this truth, truth that God made clear from the moment he instituted that Levitical system with the Mosaic law and encouraged Israel to follow it. Here's the truth. It was simply this. No man could appoint himself. We could have used the word ordain, but um, it's the same idea. Appoint himself, ordain himself, call himself uh, to be a priest, let alone be a high priest, right? And uh, I believe it's all, all on your outline here. No man can do that. Okay, and uh, that was crucial to this. You had to be of the tribe of Levi. If you're a high priest, you had to be uh, of the lineage of Aaron that, <coughs> excuse me, God had set up. Now, far too many men, far too many people deviated from these parameters that God set up, and in many ways, they paid for it. They deviated from his revealed instructions. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, you might remember um, <laughs> the, the story here. Good old Saul, um, we know he was directly disobedient to God. 
that in this, this disobedience, he invaded and inserted himself into the priesthood. Samuel delayed and his mind wasn't there and so he himself decided okay I'm just gonna I'm gonna not do exactly what God said but I'm gonna take these things you remember what he said I'm gonna offer the sacrifices and he he dictated he he said okay we're gonna offer these sacrifices and so forth and and uh and save it for the sacrifices of sheep and things like that and and that's when Samuel showed up and God dealt harshly with Saul what was the outcome well God ripped the kingdom away from him he forfeited his kingdom. Uh, and certainly the disobedience, and Samuel speaks to it, but also understand woven into that disobedience was his insertion of himself into a position in an office that he had no right. Was he the king of, uh, king of Israel? Sure was. But nowhere in the Mosaic law did it say the king of Israel could usurp the authority of the, te- uh, of the high priest. And offering the sacrifice thing, and he paid dearly for it. But he wasn't alone, and neither was he the first. Numbers chapter 16, we get a great illustration of this truth. In fact, the Bible specifically says to the fact that, whoa, 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 you're not the right person. Numbers chapter 16, verse number 9, see it there, and it says, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you. Okay, who's he talking to? He's talking to Korah, and he had about three, four, five other guys with him that he kind of roused up. I call them his cohorts, his comrades in arms. And they have approached Moses, and they said, listen, Moses, you and Aaron, you guys are taking too much on, on yourself. Yeah, why, why are you up in front of everybody? Why are you standing up there, and you're always talking to Israel? I don't, we don't, we're just as good. We can do just like you, and you just take too much on yourself. And an uh, obvious attitude of jealousy, an obvious attitude of pride, and wanting to stand up. So this is what God says to them through Moses. Notice it. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you nearer to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. So don't miss it. Who were Korah and these men? They were Levites. They were priests themselves, and so they had the opportunity. They were blessed beyond much of the rest of Israel, and that they could minister in the tabernacle. They were ministering to the other people, the rest of the congregation. They were close to God in the temple, the representation of the very presence of God. They were blessed. It wasn't enough for them. They wanted more. They wanted, they wanted a bigger piece of the pie, if we might put it that way. They wanted more accolades. They wanted more recognition. They wanted what Moses and specifically what Aaron was doing as the high priest. goes on. Notice verse 10. It says this. And he hath brought thee near to him. Speaking of God. And all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also. Now what he means by priesthood is the reality of Aaron's priesthood. The high priest you want to make yourself a high priest now that that's what you're intending to do you you want to take over this office uh this position okay and then he goes on verse number 11 notice what it says for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the lord and what is aaron See, they see the uh, specificity of the high priest here and aaron and their attack on his position their attempt to do what he's doing that ye murmur against him Okay, now you remember what Moses has said. 
they came and challenged him, and Moses said, okay, let's, let's gather back here tomorrow, and uh, we'll all come. In fact, why don't you grab some censers, you and your men. And, by, and they also had 250 men with these guys uh, that were challenging their authority. And he said, you, uh, we'll lean back here in front of the tabernacle, and as we meet back here, we'll, we'll let God judge. Now, why would Moses do that? Well, obviously, Moses knew what the law of God said. And so they brought their censers with their fire and specifically their incense to offer on the altar of incense. And they came before God. You remember what the outcome was? Well, I love that passage because in that passage, the earth is described as a her. And now we hear Mother Earth a lot and things like that, and that's kind of out there. But it is actually described as her in the Hebrew. Uh, it says that the earth swallowed them up so we can just picture the earth with a big mouth not that ladies have a big mouth that's not what i'm saying some of you took that wrong i saw it on your faces shame on you um okay the earth swallowed up what a sight that would be and 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 we we know the story well but my goodness every time we come to that's like wow that's pretty cool because it wasn't just some big earthquake and like you know we might hope that half of california i'm just kidding i'm just kidding um but you know an earthquake happens and things fall in we've all seen this was a specific opening of the earth in fact so much specific that it only took in korah and those cohorts four or five guys and all their goods so you can imagine the earth swallowing up, and, and uh, I just, it, it would be something to behold. For the people that were there, it was not something to behold. It was scary. In fact, you know what the Bible describes? That they heard the screams of those who the earth, who, who, who the earth swallowed up. Now, we talked about this before when we talked about hell and other places. There's an interesting statement there. The earth swallowed them up, and they, the Bible says they went straight to the pit, P-I-T. An interesting statement. Many believe that might have been an re- uh, indicator of hell and uh, where hell is located in the center of the earth. Who knows? We'll find out at some point down the road. But the reality is, it was a scary thought. They're falling in, they're screaming, and the people hear the screams and they run away. Specifically, the 250 that were following these guys and others who gathered with the congregation to watch what was going to happen. And you remember as they're running away, <laughs> God punishes sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. And those other 250, they're still hanging on to their censors, and they're running away from, the, uh, from God. They think they can outrun God, and we know you can't ever outrun God. And as they're running away, fire comes down from heaven and consumes every one of them. So as Moses and Aaron look out, the rest of the congregation, you know what they see? They see a smoldering mess. Uh, I believe the earth probably just went like that. And uh, there was no signs of what had transpired with that group. But there was a smoldering mess of where the 250 had been that were consumed with fire. And in the midst of that were some censers. And I love what God does. God instructs Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to take all of those censers. I want you to melt them down. I want you to make some plates, and I want you to go to that altar of incense, and I want you to plate it in gold as it will always be a memorial that no one comes before me that I haven't chosen. Notice the verse, if you will. It's found all the way at the end of the chapter, verse number 40. Here's what he says. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel. That no stranger, and he's not talking about, sometimes that terminology is used, a foreigner to the Jews. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about someone who does not belong in that place, who has not been called, who has not been ordained, does not come and do this. That no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, come near to offer incense before the Lord. That he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. Amazing story. We would say there on your outline, obviously, they 
Korah and his friends, they tried. They, they tried to buck the system. They tried to tell God, well, we could be priests too. We could all be just like the high priest. And they forfeited their very lives. A story not soon forgotten among the Jews. Even to Jesus Christ Day, you can imagine this would be one of those stories. Like for you and I, it's the ark. For you and I, it's David and Goliath. You know, we know these stories from a young age, and they catch our, they catch our attention. And boy, we, uh, people who, who are barely in church, they maybe rode a bus. They came to Sunday school a few times. They heard some of those stories, and they stick with them. It's a story that sticks with you. And Korah would have been just the one, or just like that, especially for the Jews who practice their faith. And so when Paul brings this up, woo, it's a vivid reminder and I say he brings it up. When he brings up the reality, and what I mean, he brings up the fact that you have to be called. They would know exactly these stories. They would think of these stories. Oh, yeah, Saul. And, oh, Korah, yeah. But you know what? There was somebody else who didn't learn from that. There's another person in the Scripture who didn't learn the lesson, who lived sometime after uh, Korah and certainly after Saul, <coughs> and didn't learn the lesson at all. Uh, the lesson that history likes to teach. His name was Uzziah, King Uzziah, in Chronicles, Second Chronicles 26. Uh, things were going well for Uzziah. Uh, he had done, accomplished a lot, got a blast. He had, uh, science was uh, expounding. Uh, he had built walls and cities. Things were going well, e- even from a domestic standpoint, even from an, uh, a, a <coughs> dealings with other countries. Things were going well. And the Bible tells us as he kind of got lifted up. He got proud of heart. And we would say he got a big head because he, things were going so well and so good. And so you know what he decided to do? Well, I'm just going to stroll right into that temple and I'll offer some sacrifice. In fact, I'll offer some incense to the Lord. He too grabbed a censer. He goes into the temple and immediately you can imagine somebody says, uh-oh, that, what, what's the king doing here? Certainly he would be allowed in some parts of the temple, but where he was going and what he was planning on doing, they could tell with that censer in his hand, and they knew immediately that can't happen. So they went and told the high priest, Azariah, and I love this part of the story. Azariah comes, and he brings, as the Bible describes, 80 valiant priests. I like that. You know, it almost describes them as fighters, okay? And uh, a bunch of preachers, I mean priests that were fighters, they were ready to go to They come in, the Bible says he and his 80, and they withstood the king. In other words, I can just see Azariah saying there, all right, king, with all due respect, you're not going any further. You will not offer that incense. Woo, no one talked to the king like that, at least in his mind. He got angry, he got mad, he was wroth with them, and I could just imagine that censer was shaking in his hand, and he was about to do some things. He was about to lower the boom as the king on that priest and those 80 men, but there was a king in heaven who was greater than him that lowered the boom first. And the Bible says that immediately in his forehead, leprosy started to spread. You can imagine the priest, they kind of step, take a step back, and maybe he feels something himself, and <laughs> something's not right, and the leprosy spreads. God strikes him just like that. The Bible goes on to say that they ushered him out, uses a different word, but the reality was it also says he didn't resist. He, he, he was with them going out. You know what happened? He went out that day, and his kingdom was taken from him. He had to go live in what was called a several house for the lepers, and his son was in his place over his house. 
Literally, we could describe it as this. The outcome was simple, that God kicked him out of his own house because he had violated the house of God and its rules. And so you see there in the statement, he forfeited his health and his house. He would always, forever, be written down as a poster child for you can't go against and change God's rules. You can't break those rules without there being consequences. Uh, he, God takes the priesthood seriously, didn't he? See, he took the priesthood. And every Jew would know that. These stories would have been well known to any Jew who grew up in the faith. This is, uh, so, so as they're hearing this, and they know Aaron and his family were chosen by God. No one else could insert themselves. No one else could, could become and claim to be a high priest. God would deal with that. God would, would judge that. And as that high priest, main task was to offer the main sacrifices, the Day of Atonement and others. No one else could do that. Only who God ordained. And so uh, we come to a premise statement, if we might put it as such. Unless the sacrifices were offered in the right place by the right person, they were not accepted by God. We've seen that. And we could look at many more where that was the case. Okay, we could start with Cain and Abel, right? And the lack of a proper sacrifice as dictated by God. And so we see that throughout the Scripture. And the Jews knew that. That's why Paul makes it such a big deal, verses 1 and, and 3 and following, that, that verse 4 especially, that God chose Christ for the, the position of the high priest, that Christ, as he puts here in verse number 5, Christ didn't glorify himself. Christ didn't just claim this of his own volition and say, okay, I'm going to be a high priest, the great high priest. No, he didn't. God himself ordained him as such. God chose him and picked him to be the great high priest that would be the fulfillment of everything we saw in the old law of the high priest, but also the high priest that you and I need for all of eternity. And so we see this superior ordination because Paul would have anticipated the biggest question from a Jew. Okay, you say he's a high priest, so here's the question, letter A, does he meet the qualifications of a high priest? You say he's a high priest, does he meet him? Paul, you're telling me, a fellow Jew, that, that this, this man, this, uh, the, this Savior that you call Jesus Christ, he, he meets all the qualifications? That would have been their question. He would immediately ask it. So we want to answer that in part. I believe we'll answer it in a greater extent as we get on through the passage. But let's just hit a couple things that Paul does here. Okay? Number one part of that question is here's what they're asking. Okay? Was he appointed by God? They could, they, they could show you chapter and verse. They could go back to uh, Torah and other places, the, the uh, Jewish Bible. They could show you exactly where God chose Aaron. We, we've seen that passage where he has done so. And they would go there. Okay, we've already seen it somewhat, somewhat, it's answered by Paul firmly, but he also goes on to it. I like what he writes there in verse, um, uh, verse number four, but he that is called of God, he makes a, he says, listen, this is the priest, like Aaron of old, had to be called of God. But I like what he says in verse 10, the first part, look ahead to verse 10, called, and speaking of Christ, called of God and high priest. Now, you see what he's saying. He goes, okay, you remember verses 1 through 4. Uh, here's what the priest in the Old Testament had to be like. He's giving some descriptions and qualifications of what you as a Jew would know the high priest to be. And he's saying, now look, look at Christ. He fulfills these things. He is everything that you would want to see in a high priest that God said would be a high priest and much more. And so he was called just like Aaron uh, in that. But to further show greater evidence of this truth, 
he quotes a couple different verses in these verses here, this passage from the Old Testament. Okay, look at verse five again, if you will. Look at verse number five. Notice what he, what he says. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, and many of your Bibles will indicate, this is a quote, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Okay, uh, you might recognize it, uh, Psalm chapter 2 in verse 7, and that's where we see that declaration of God about God the Father, about God the Son, okay? Now, some of you who are, have a much better memory than I do, you may have remembered right away, wait a second, Pastor Henry, didn't we already kind of go over this verse? We did. What's interesting about this verse is we're, we're just in chapter 5, and Paul has already quoted it twice. This is the second occurrence. The first occurrence happened in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5. You can certainly look back if you like, but you might remember we were talking about how Jesus Christ, the prior verses, he outspeaks the prophets. And when we come to verse 5, you remember he outranks the angels. He outranks the angels. And so Paul claims and, and quotes the exact same verse out of Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 there in Hebrews chapter 1, okay? And uh, it's a great, great truth um, as he's proven that. Remember what we said, even the Jewish scholars of old recognized Psalm 2 as a messianic psalm. It refers to the Messiah, to Christ. Paul, if you remember, would quote it in Acts chapter 13. He's preaching there in Antioch, and uh, in doing so, he draws a connection, okay? You might remember this. He draws a connection between the word begotten. We see it here, okay? The word begotten in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In doing so, in Hebrews chapter 1, the point is that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God. Okay? That's really what the term begotten there means, the one and only. Right? And he's saying there in Hebrews chapter 1, no angel has that privilege. If you remember our study of Hebrews chapter 1, he was saying the angels are servants, he's the son. Big difference. God has never said to an angel, you, you are my son. He's only said it to Jesus Christ. And so they're servants, he is the son, and so therefore it is proving the deity of Jesus Christ who he is, and how that outranks the angels, okay? That was the emphasis in Hebrews chapter 1. Well, why is he quoting again in Hebrews chapter 5? Well, there's a different emphasis, isn't there? This emphasis is on the priesthood of Christ. And it's the emphasis on that connection between the term begotten and the resurrection. I want you to turn with me, and I know we're running out of time, but we'll get this in at least. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13, if you will. Acts chapter 13, hold your spot in Hebrews chapter 5. We'll probably be back there, or at least try to, at least for a little while, okay? Look in Acts chapter 13. Paul's preaching, and he's getting going. Hebrews, or Acts chapter 13, we look down to verse number 33. And notice this statement. This is uh, where he quotes it, and he gives an explanation about it um, in his preaching. Verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again. Context, resurrection. God has raised up Jesus Christ, okay? As it is written in the second Psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now that's a great statement. And we could elaborate what is day referring to. It's the day that Jesus Christ was resurrected, not when he was born in Bethlehem. That's not what it's alluding to. It's about the resurrection. He ties it together in this verse. He explains 
that. He says, you know, uh, God hath fulfilled the same when he raised up Jesus Christ in that day, uh, my begotten. So he connects that, verse 34, and asks concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Okay, so you see the tying together of that. Now, what's the, uh, the impact of that? Well, understand this. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and he later ascended to heaven for good, he was literally begotten into the ministry of our high priest. Established as our high priest. As he returns to heaven, he he has done the earthly aspect of the high priest. He's offered the sacrifice himself, and now he's in heaven, interceding on our behalf, and continued to work in the heavenly aspect, the heavenly ministry of the high priest. And that passage Paul quotes, why? Because he wants you and I to see, listen, the one and only Son of God is in his place as our high priest. He has been appointed by God. He has been ordained. He has called of God a high priest and the great high priest to do what no other priest could ever do. We know that his, rec- his resurrection was really the thing that sealed the deal when it came to his sacrifice on the cross uh, that he gained for us. He's now our high priest. He's sitting on the throne of grace in heaven. It's exactly what God the Father ordained and appointed him to do. And uh, we would put it this way. Christ's ministry and work as our high priest has God's stamp of approval all over it. See, the Jew would say, wait a minute, we know Aaron. God spoke to Moses and said, hey, Aaron's going to be the high priest. Well, can I tell you, God made it perfectly clear throughout all the scriptures that Jesus Christ is our high priest. He's called. He's appointed. He's ordained. The Jew could not question. They even ha- would have to admit, okay, I, well, you've shown some things, and the reality is God would not accept anybody he did not appoint to it. He did not ordain to it. He, he did not call. And if Jesus Christ has done all this, and he is now even on the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, Paul, you may have something there saying he's our great high priest. And so Paul will elaborate and continue. Time will not allow us to get next point. That'll take us 15, 20 minutes. We'll be here till nine. So we're not going to do that, okay? So hang on to those outlines if you want, or actually we'll put it back together next week. We'll get back into it. And a great point that he makes next. I wish we could do it tonight, but we better not. We'll lose some time going forward, all right? Inside your prayer bulletin, several prayer requests. Brother Cliff, you'll bring those. Let me share uh, these with you as Brother Cliff comes. As he comes, let me share one with you. This is the uh, Paleo family. I may not be pronouncing this right, but it's P-U-L-E-O. Thank you, Cliff. P-U-L-E-O family. This is um, Trisha Kester's sister, Tammy. Tammy Moran. Her her work place. And there's a family-owned business. They're Christians. Um, uh, The wife, the lady, um, Sharon, passed away from a heart attack yesterday suddenly. And so kind of unexpected. She was the office manager there in this family business. So it's kind of affecting the whole business. And uh, being a family-owned, obviously much family involved and things like that. So if you'd pray for the Paleo family, Paleo family, P-U-L-E-O, and uh, the um, homegoing, uh, the lady named Sharon there, uh, very much the matriarch, we probably could say, of the family there. And so would you just pray for Tammy and the whole workplace there? And that would be great. I ask you to pray for Angie Looney, too.
too. Angie's having a heart cath on Monday at 11.30. There's a couple things the doctor saw, failed a stress test, I believe. And so would you just pray for Angie Looney that all would go well, uh, this heart cath on Monday. Heart cath on Monday. The Lord would just undertake, keep her safe, and uh, pray between now and then. The Lord would just give her much peace and uh, comfort. Uh, she's, that looms on the horizon, if we could put it that way. And so would you just pray the Lord would give much strength and uh, comfort there, and everything would go well. Again, I encourage you to look inside your um, prayer bulletin. That's all I have for tonight that were turned in. So well, remember these, look inside your prayer bulletin too, and I encourage you, uh, remember to pray for the Frankensteins and the Dortes, and uh, certainly praying for that. If you didn't catch it, uh, the plane uh, he was referring to, I think he called it Jabez, uh, is his plane that they bought, I think it's in Florida still, and so they're trying to get it down to Brazil so he can fly into those places without the help of others and so forth like that. So that's one of the things he mentioned about praying for that they could get, I think it was Jabez, was that right? I believe he called it Jabez, if, I, if you caught it there, and uh, so forth and such. So and it's good to see the Frankenstein's dog doing well, amen, and so glad he made appearance on the video, so don't want to have to pray for him, no. I appreciate these videos. Appreciate you being here tonight. Let's split up in groups one, two, and three. We'll spend some time in prayer, if you would. Appreciate you being here. We'll see you on Sunday.